0: Alrighty. So feel free to chat to that person uh, over supper uh, after the sermon. I'm just going to pray now. And so if you'd like to pray with me, that would be great. Uh, If you agree with what I say, just say amen at the end, which just basically means I agree. So how about I pray? Father God, we want to thank you so much for the gift of your word. Lord, as we come to it right now, Lord, we pray that you humble us. Uh, Lord, in particular, as we come to a part of your word that maybe is well known to a lot of us, Lord, that you may teach us. Uh, Lord, you may challenge us to be more like your son, Jesus, to put our faith in him, to follow him and to praise him for what he's done. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I think one of the most popular uh, videos on Facebook at the moment, or at least on my Facebook feed, uh, is this video of an interview of a guy called Simon Sinek. I think that's how you say his name, or Sinek. Uh, He's a motivational speaker. It's a 15-minute video, and the title of it is, What is Wrong with Millennials? It's a pretty good video. There's some really insightful things in it. I'd recommend you watch it. Uh, It's a bit ironic, though, as a video, because in it, uh, he recommends that people don't use Facebook, which was how I was accessing this video at the time, so I thought it was a bit ironic. But anyway, he gives some reasoning as to why you shouldn't use Facebook. And he talks about how scientists have proven that whenever you receive a notification, maybe like a like, a share, a comment... That at that point in time, the reason why you're delighted when you log onto Facebook and you see that little red icon instead of being depressed if you don't see it is because at that point in time, there's a chemical being released in your brain, dopamine, I think it, called dopamine. And that chemical is the same chemical that is for any other part of your body to release, is released for joy. Be it, I don't know, joy when you win a football game or you have sex or I don't know, a whole lot of different types of pleasure in life, it's the same chemical that's released. And he explains that to us to make us think and realize that that's why Facebook is so addictive, so addictive. You see, I asked you to talk to the person next to you, and the question was, do you care about the approval of others? And my guess is if you have Facebook, which is going to be a lot of the people here, that you do. You do care about the approval of others. Matter of fact, you get some joy, some pleasure when people like your comments or or share something you said. And I think we all care about the approval of others, if we're honest. Even if you don't use Facebook and you're proud that you don't, you you still do care about the approval of others. Like, how do I know this? Well, because I have children. And as we all know, children are a good case study for humanity. uh, And they just reveal what human nature is like. And so most of you know I've got two children, Elijah who's four, Isaac who's two, and currently, little Isaac is being toilet trained. Uh, and so, as a result, daily, I have this little boy running towards me naked, yelling, Daddy, wee, Daddy, wee. And at that point in time, he wants my approval. You know, he, he wants me to high five him or give him a fist pump. Marva's son, Elijah, is four years old. And luckily, he's not being toilet trained because that'd be really awkward for a four year old. But um, he is learning how to swim. And so this week, we're at Unidera swimming pool. Great pool, by the way. uh, And he's learning how to jump in. And whenever he jumps in, he looks for mom and dad. He's like, dad, did you see that? Did you see what I did? And he's got this huge smile on his face. You see, the truth is, whether we like to admit it or not, we care about the approval of others. We long for the approval of others. And if we're really honest, we long for or we care about people whom we think are special, whom we think are unique. Like, like, don't get me wrong, like, we care about strangers and what they think of us. Like, to give you an example, if you're new or visiting here church tonight, I'm glad you're here, uh, but just want to lay my cards out for you. Like, I do care about what you think of me, how I preach, how I look. I care a little bit, I'll give you that. But in comparison to what my wife thinks about me, in comparison to what my family and my best friends think about me, I don't really care at all. And I think it's the same for you as well. Like, we care about the approval of people whom we think are special and unique in our life. And you know what? I think this longing for approval is beautiful in many ways. You know, as a father, I, I, would, I, I love the fact that my boys long for my affection and I wouldn't want it any other way. So I think the desire for approval or affection, what do you want to call it? It's, it's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. But at the same time, it can also be an incredibly dangerous thing. You know, I think we know this, especially when you're trying to find that approval in the wrong place, the wrong person, or even in the wrong way. See, I don't think it's a controversial statement for me to say that we all desire the approval of others. I think you're on board with that. But let me dig deeper and let me say maybe a statement that is a bit controversial to you. And the statement is this All of us also long for the approval of God. All of us also long for the approval of God. And maybe you're like, Joel, how do you know that? How do you know my heart? Well, let me just explain this to you. If we value, if we desperately want the approval of people who we find are special and are valuable in our life, our idols, our family, our friends, who are special, well, then if God exists, and I believe he does, then he is the most unique, the most special, the most precious being in the universe. And if he created you, then he would have created you not just for a longing for the approval of others, but also for the longing of approval of him. And I honestly think this is the truth, that we all desire the approval of God. I think human history backs up my claim. You know, I think the multiple different religions out there backs up that statement. The truth is, I think we all long for the most special being in the universe to say, you're okay, you're unique, you're special. I approve of you, which begs begs the question. If we do long for God's approval, maybe you don't fully agree, but go along with me, how do we gain it? How do we gain God's approval? How do we gain God's approval? That's the question that we're going to be asking tonight as we look at this parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke 18. Because you see, in this part of the scripture, Jesus tells a story about two men who are trying to gain God's approval. Two men who are trying to gain God's approval. A Pharisee and a tax collector. And so we're going to look at these two men and we're going to look at how they try to gain God's approval. And what we're going to see is that one way that they try to gain God's approval, doesn't work, and one way does. see that one way doesn't work, and one way does. And so let's dig into it. Let's have a look at Luke chapter 18, verse 9. Uh, I'm going to read to us the Bible and go through it in section and talk about it, and it should come up on the screen behind me as well. Verse 9, let me read it to us again. This is what Luke, the author of Luke's gospel, says. He says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. And stop there. It's important you understand here that before we dig into Jesus' story, that Luke, the author of Luke's gospel, wants us to understand Jesus' audience. He wants us to understand who is Jesus talking to when he tells this story, when he tells this parable. And Luke tells us two things about this audience. He says, firstly, they're confident of their own righteousness. Or, Or in other words, they're confident based on their works, based on their behavior, their actions, their character, that they're right with God, or in other words, they have God's approval. That's the first thing. They're confident of their righteousness, their approval. Secondly, though, we're told that this confidence led to arrogance as they looked down on everyone else. Okay? So let's keep this in mind. Jesus' audience, they're confident of their righteousness, and they're comparing themselves to other people. Let's now have a look at Jesus and what he says in regards to this parable. Verse 10, Jesus says this. Two men went up to the temple to pray one a Pharisee, and the other a tax collector. Let's stop there. Here, Jesus is telling a story. And like any good storyteller, he introduces us to the location of the story and the main characters of the story. And so what's the location? Well, Jesus says here, it's the temple. Now, what's the temple? Is the temple similar to the, you know, the Wollongong Nanten Temple, which is big and impressive, and lots of people go there? Well, yes, it's sort of similar like that. You see, back in the G- Jesus' day, the Jews had a large building which was called the temple and it was a place where people went to pray or to make sacrifices or in other words, to gain God's approval. So that's the location. But who are the characters? Well, Jesus tells us here a Pharisee and a tax collector. A Pharisee and a tax collector. Now, who are these guys? Well, let me try and paint a picture for you so you understand who these guys are. So to begin with, the Pharisees, who are they? Well, they're the religious dudes. They're the rule keepers. They're the people that everyone loved. And the tax collectors, well, they're the rebellious guys. They're the bad guys who everyone hated. They're the rule breakers. You see, in other words, the Pharisees were well-respected religious leaders in the community who gave to the community. While these tax collectors were the leeches to society. They were traders who collected taxes for the Roman empire and thieves who most of the time took more than they needed to take. Okay, so polarizing figures. And with these characters in mind, what are they doing? Well, they go into the temple to pray, to pray. And in this case, they're praying because they want to get God's approval. They want to get God's approval. And so Jesus now tells us um, how these two guys go about getting God's approval, and he begins with the Pharisee and then the tax collector. Let's have a look at the Pharisee, verse 11 and 12. Jesus says this, he says, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. Man, don't you think this Pharisee like is a good guy, don't you think? You know, like he's not an evildoer, so you can trust him around your kids. He's not a robber, so you can trust him in your house. He's not an adulterer, so you can trust him around your wife. You know, like, this guy, he's, he's a good dude. I mean, like, he's de- devoted to God. You know, like, he, he fasts, or in other words, he abstains from eating twice a week. And he gives a 10% of all that he earns. Like, he tithes. This guy seems like a top-notch dude. And let's ask this question then. How do you think this guy tries to gain God's approval? Well, if you can't see it, let me let me point out to you. It's pretty simple. He tries to earn it. He tries to earn it. He tries to earn God's approval by following rules. You see, he basically comes to the temple and says, God, look at me. I don't rob, I don't cheat, I don't steal. And let me tell you what I do do, God. I give and I fast. Look at me. Look at me and what I do. You see, like Jesus' audience in verse 9. This Pharisee is is confident of his own righteousness, of God's approval. And he's also someone who compares himself to others as he looks down upon this tax collector next to him. You see, how does this Pharisee try to gain God's approval? He tries to earn it. He tries to earn it. Let's now have a look at this tax collector and let's see how he tries to earn God's approval. Let me read verse 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance... He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. So let's let's look at the contrast. What does this tax collector do? Well, he does the complete opposite. Instead of stepping forward, he steps back. Instead of boasting to the sky, he looks at the ground. Instead of having a puffed out chest, he beats his chest. Instead of saying, God, I thank you, I'm not like, he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner ask this question how does the tax collector try to gain god's approval is he trying to earn it no he just humbly asks for it he just humbly begs for it he cries out for god's mercy or in other words god's grace if you don't know what that word grace means it's just it's it's undeserved favor or other, other words undeserved loved or undeserved kindness you see this tax collector knew he wasn't right before god he, he knew he was a sinner he didn't deserve god's approval And yet with a repentant heart and a remorseful soul, he begs for it. He pleads for it because he longs for God's approval. He longs for God to say to him, you're okay, even though he knows he's not okay. You see how these two men have two different ways to try and gain God's approval. One tries to earn it by works. One asks for it by grace, by grace. And in verse 14, Jesus tells us which one of these two men gains God's approval. And it's a bit perplexing. Verse 14, let me read it out to you. Jesus says this. He, tells you, he says, I tell you that this man, in was a the tax collector, rather than the other, the Pharisee, went home justified before God. Or in other words, approved by God. Now, I know a lot of us know this parable pretty well, but that is shocking. Like, that's outrageous. You know, like, the bad man is saved and the good man is shunned. The tax collector is forgiven and the Pharisee is forgotten. The tax collector, rather than the Pharisee, goes home justified, or in other words, approved before God. see, I know a lot of us are familiar with this parable. And as a result, the shock of that wears off a bit. But when it comes to understanding the parables, for a lot of them, what you've got to pick out and see is, is there a shock factor? Is there something here that's unique that should make you go, what? And it's that, that part, that shocking factor can be key to understanding the parable. So so let's look into this shocking factor. Let's try and get our heads around how can God not reward this uprighteous Pharisee and how can he possibly give grace to such a filthy tax collector? And let's begin by talking about this Pharisee. You see, on the surface, this Pharisee, he looks like an angel. You know, he looks like someone you want your daughter to date or maybe your son to imitate. You know, he looks like a saint. Doesn't look like a sinner. You see, this Pharisee though, Deep down, though, when you dig below the surface, is a, a sinner rather than a saint. You see, this Pharisee thought that his good behavior would have gained God's love, God's approval. He thinks he's awesome, but to be blunt, he's an arrogant and ignorant jerk. Like, the truth is, that this Pharisee was a proud man. So much so that as you read this parable, you feel like you should be impressed by him. You feel like God should be impressed by him. Like, if you look at the subject of his prayer, he's just constantly talking about himself. He keeps repeating, I, he's like, I thank God that I am not like other men, that, that I give and, and that I fast. You see, this Pharisee is not as perfect as he thinks he is. You see, and the truth is, this Pharisee was focusing on the external rather than the internal. You know, he thought God cared about just his actions, just what he does, his character and not his heart, his motivation and his thoughts. The truth is, is this Pharisee looked good on the outside but was filthy on the inside. Uh, I love chocolate. If you don't know about me, you probably haven't spent too much time with me. Uh, I love chocolate. I eat a lot of chocolate, probably too much. New Year's resolution would be to not eat so much chocolate, but that's okay. Um, one time, though, well, I was eating some of my favorite chocolate, and that is these cabby creamy eggs. I don't know if you guys know what they are or if you like them too. If you don't, let me explain to you what they are. Uh, it's basically like a small Easter egg with really thick chocolate walls And on the inside, it's not empty, but there's this creamy, caramel, gooey sort of stuff, which is just amazing. Like, I'm salivating right now thinking about it. Um, It's so good. Uh, And I remember one time a few years ago, I bought one of these Cadbury Creamy Eggs, and I opened it up, and it just looked so good. Uh, And I was just ready to devour it. Um, And so I did that. I took one huge bite out of this Cadbury Creamy Egg, getting ready to taste the creamy goodness. Um, But instead, I felt dryness. And then on top of that, I could feel some things like crawling inside my mouth. And so I looked down at this egg and I didn't see half creamy egg bitten or whatever, but instead I saw an ant's nest inside of this creamy egg. So what had happened is obviously people didn't care about hygiene on this, uh, at this shop and an, egg's, an ant's nest had just creeped in with the side of this egg. You see, that egg looked so good on the outside. And yet it was filthy rotten on the inside. You know what? These Pharisees, they're just the same. He's the exact same. He looks good on the outside, but on the inside, it's disgusting. Disgusting. All right. So let's let's ask this question again then. Hopefully you should get it. How come this, this upright citizen, this Pharisee doesn't gain God's approval? Well, because he's just as sinful as this tax collector that he's repulsed by. You see, both the Pharisee and the tax collectors are sinners who fall short of the glory of God. They're both, the Pharisees and the tax collectors cannot earn God's approval. They need God's grace. And what we're told here is that grace is given to the tax collector rather than this Pharisee, which begs the question, why? Why why does a tax collector receive God's grace? Well, in verse 14, Jesus tells us, the second part of it, Jesus says, For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You see, what this parable is telling us is that there's two ways, or really there's one way, but there's two ways that people try to gain God's approval. There's one way that works, and there's one way that doesn't work. There's one way that is characterized by pride and is about works, and there's another way that is characterized by humility and is about grace. You see, this Pharisee arrogantly comes before God and says, I am a saint that deserves your approval, while the tax collector comes before God and says, I am a sinner that deserves your anger, your wrath, but I desire your mercy. Church, if we desire the approval of God, then we need to do our best not to be like the Pharisee, but to be like the tax collector and to humble ourselves before God. And it's a need if you want to follow Jesus for the first time, We want to keep on following him. You see, there's a real danger when it comes to this parable, especially because it's well known. And the danger can be that you just feel like you know it, feel like you don't have much to learn from it you come before it and be like, yeah, okay, well, I'm not like this tax collector. Like, it's not my job. I don't steal. I don't rob. I'm not an evildoer. I'm not an adulterer. Like, I, like I'm a straighty 180 sort of person. I follow the rules. And then there's also temptation that would be like, but I'm also not like that Pharisee. You know, like, I'm a little bit better than him. You know, like, I'm not proud like him. I don't compare myself to others. Like, oh, wait a minute. Yes, I do. You see, the truth is, is all of us would be, be like this Pharisee. And therefore, all of us need to sit under this word and ask ourselves, how can we be humble like this tax collector? How can we humble ourselves before God? Because that is how we gain God's approval. And so with that in mind, I want to get practical and I want us to be thinking through, all right, how do we humble ourselves before God? How do we do that? And to do so, it's pretty simple. What we need to do is not be like the Pharisee and we need to try and be like the tax collector. We need to not be like the Pharisee and we need to try and be like the tax collector. So let's talk about this, and let's talk firstly about how do we not be like the Pharisee. The one thing I want to point out, I wonder if you notice as well, is that the arrogance of this, of this Pharisee sorry, led him to compare himself at others at the expense of others. Led him towards comparing himself to others at the expense of others. I wonder if you've ever done that. I don't know, I know I certainly have. Let me give you examples. Maybe, for example, you're at university, I've done this. And you're in class and you're just thinking, man, I'm so much smarter than that foolish person that just asked that question. You know, when people ask those dumb questions, you think, I'm so much smarter than them. Or, or maybe, you know, you're at the shops and you've just bought some new clothes, so you're looking good. You know, you've got your fashion sense in and then you see someone walk past who's in like, I don't know. I don't even want to say anything, so I don't want to insult anyone. But <laughs> there's just a shame that someone comes with a bad fashion sense in your eyes. And you're like, man, it would suck to look that bad in comparison to how good I look. I, mean, I don't know, maybe that could be a thought you have. I don't know what times I do. I'm sorry. Um, Or maybe you can think of church. And maybe you can think you come across someone who's really socially awkward. And you're like, man, I'm so good that like I'm not like that. And then I get along with people and people like me. Or or, or maybe this could be something at work. And you come across someone who's a sloth. And they're just really terrible at their job. And you're just like, oh, I'm so so glad I'm such a hard worker. And I'm not like that person. Or maybe back to church again. And maybe it could be someone who you just feel like they're not committed, they're not growing in holiness, and you just feel like, man, I'm so glad that I'm more godly than that person, that I'm more committed to Jesus than that person. If we're honest, we all compare ourselves with other people at the expense of other people. We may not say it out loud, but we do it in our hearts. And as I've been reflecting this, I reckon the reason why we do this or why I do this is because I want people to think that I'm special, that I'm unique. Or sometimes I just need to convince myself of that. And so I'll compare myself with others at the expense of others. And I feel like the world sort of helps us do that and buys into it and encourages us to do that. Saying that that will lead you to joy if you compare yourself with other people. When truth be told, it doesn't. It leads to anxiety, insecurity, guilt, bitterness, or arrogance. A few years ago, my brother, um, I've got one brother, his older brother, challenged me uh, to go do the city to surf with him in the city. Uh, At the time, my brother weighed about 120 uh, kilograms, and uh, I weighed about, I don't know, 80. Uh, And so I accepted the challenge, and I arrogantly said to him, I said, I'll beat you without, like, absolutely no training. I was like, I'll demolish you. And, And I arrogantly said that because for most of our life, I'd always been skinnier than him, always been fitter than him. And so I'm like, I've got this, I've got this. Even though, truth be told, at the time, I had never run further than three kilometers straight and I was not fit at all, I thought, yep, I got this. Because in comparison to my brother, no worries. Anyway, four kilometers in, I was dying. It's hard work. It was killing me. And yet, tell you what tried to motivate me at the time for like the whole race, the next 10 kilometers, so long. um, All that's coming through my head is, I I, I can beat my brother. I can beat my brother. I'm faster than him. I'm fitter than him. I'm skinnier than him. I can beat my brother. I can beat my brother. And then when he overtook me and was way ahead of me, then I started to think of other people around me. Like, I can beat them. You know, when the guy is dressed up, I'm like, I can beat him. When a guy was going past me with a pram with kids on it, I was thinking, I can beat him. I'm better than him. And you know what? It just led to disappointments. You know, the guy in the pram, the guy in the skirt, and my brother beat me. And and just... It, what's really disappointing about this, and I'm really ashamed of this, was on that day, is I just skipped over how proud I was of my brother and how he had lost so many kilograms to do that race and how he'd smash me. And instead, I was so focused on myself and trying to put him down at my expense. I mean, for his expense. Now the world says, put others down, put yourself up. She says, humble yourself. Humble yourself. You know, if we want to humble ourselves before God, we need to stop this comparison game With a lot of things in life, but in particular when it comes to holiness or godliness, you need to remember and never forget that we are all sinners in need of grace. We need to never forget that that the ground at the cross is level. That just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean that I get more privilege than you or anything like that. We need to stop comparing ourselves with others at the expense of others. And we need to listen to what Paul says in Philippians. Philippians 2, if you come to the screen, he says this. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. If we want to humble ourselves before God, we need to prevent ourselves from being like this Pharisee, comparing ourselves to others at the expense of others. I think maybe we need to deep, deep, deep dig into our hearts, see what insecurities we have. And maybe tap into the fact that you are special and unique because of the gospel and because of what Jesus has done and to keep preaching that to you daily. Anyway, if we want to humble ourselves before God, we've got to stop being like this Pharisee, but then also we need to be like this tax collector. How do we do that? Two quick things. Number one, we need to be open about our sin. Number two, we need to repent of our sin. Number one, we need to be open about our sin. I wonder if you notice how this tax collector is open about his sin and how vulnerable he is as he does this. I wonder if you notice how he didn't walk into the temple and put on a face, put on a facade before others and before God. Instead, he was real, he was authentic. And because he's a sinner, this realness cost him. It made him vulnerable. It made him look weak. You see, if you want to humble yourself before God, then you need to be vulnerable before him. And look, I I know this is hard. I, I know this is painful. But the good news of the gospel is that you're not saved when you're at your strongest. You're saved when you're at your weakest. You're not saved by your strength, but you're saved by Jesus and his perfection and not your own. For those of us who are Christians and call Willingham Baptist Church your home, is a specific application for you. As we go into home groups in a few weeks' time, as we gather throughout the week, I want to challenge you and encourage you to be open about your sin, to be vulnerable with your group around you. Not so you may dwell on it and feel guilty about it, but so instead people may point to the gospel to you, they may remind you of your saviour, And how you've been washed clean through him. We want to be humble. We want to be like this tax collector. We need to be open about our sin. But number two, we also need to repent of our sin. you see, this tax collector, he came and he said, God have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. He's making it clear. He's vulnerable. But he's also saying, God have mercy on me. He's showing a heart of repentance. He's saying, God, I know what I'm doing is wrong and I don't want to keep doing this. You see, it's one thing to be vulnerable, but it's another thing to be repentant of your sin something to be repentant. You see, when it comes to the good news of grace, let guess what we're talking about tonight and how you, know, you, you get God's approval through grace, not through works. I think it's glorious news. It's great news. And I think a lot of people see it as good news. They're like, whoa, sweet. I get, I get eternal life if I just humble myself before God. Like, It's not about what I do. It's about what Jesus has done. Like, that's amazing news. And then sometimes we then think, so what about sin? Can, can I just keep on doing that? Because if God keeps forgiving me and showing me more grace, then surely it's, it's safe to sin. Surely grace makes sin safe, when it's just not the case at all. The good news of the gospel is that grace makes sinners safe. Grace makes sinners safe. But if you understand the good news of the gospel, then you will not want to keep on sinning, because that's really arrogant. Like, think about this, for example, right? Like, how arrogant it is for you to go before God, the King of the universe, to go before Jesus, to die on the cross for your sins, and then to say, you know what, thanks for that but I'm just going to keep living my life in this way because I think I know what's best. You know, I think in regards to, I don't know, like how I'm living, how I'm using my money, who I'm spending time with, what I think about, how I'm, my thoughts or what I'm doing. that that's just, like some of these things, God, I'm going to keep to myself. It's so arrogant. If We want to humble ourselves before God. We need to be open about our sin, but we also need to repent of our sin. We need to stop comparing ourselves to others like this tax, call, I mean, like this Pharisee. And we need to remember what Jesus says here. He says, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. See, we've got, to, we've, got to, we've got to understand Jesus' words. We've got to get them into our brain and never forget them. But as you walk out this door, as much as I want you to remember Jesus' words, I also want you to remember Jesus' works. You see, I want you to remember that the good news of the gospel is it's not about how humble you are, but it's about how humble Jesus was. I want you to remember Jesus, how he followed God's law perfectly, unlike this Pharisee, how he loved sinners instead of loathing them, unlike this Pharisee, how he humbly came as a baby, how he humbly came as a servant, and then he humbly died as a criminal, how at the cross, he didn't cry out for his sin, but he cried out on behalf of everyone else's sin. He said, God, have mercy on them as they do not what they do to those who are executing him. Think about Jesus at the cross and his works and how Jesus went to the cross to suffer for the tax collector's sin, for the Pharisee's sin, but also for our sin. Not only did he die, though, but he also rose from the dead three days later. So whoever believes in him may inherit his righteousness, his perfection, or in other words, God's approval of Jesus gets inherited to us. And how do we receive that? Was well, it's by humbling ourselves before God in faith. That's the good news of the gospel. That is the amazing grace. That's not about us following rules to gain God's approval, but it's about Jesus and what he's done. And it's life is not about how special we are, but it's about how special Jesus is. And so if you're walking out this door struggling, how do I humble myself before God? Well, think practically, don't compare, be open, repent of your sin, but focus on Jesus. Jesus. Remember how he's your substitute for the times when you don't humble yourself, but also remember he's your perfect example on how to do so. This week, as I was um, preparing for this talk, I was reflecting on this good news of grace. And I guess God's call to humble ourselves before him. And I was reflecting on a time in particular when God's grace became evident in my life. Um, I didn't grow up in a Christian family. Uh, When I was about 16 years old, uh, someone told me the good news about Jesus uh, and told me about how Jesus died so I may live and I became a Christian. Uh, For the next few years though, um, I didn't really grow in my faith and I actually became a bit more like the Pharisee. You know, I thought the way to gain God's approval was by following rules and earning it. And I was looking good on the outside, looking like a good Christian, but on the inside my heart was filthy and rotten. To be honest with you, I was bitter at the time. I was really angry. I was addicted to pornography. There's loads of things in my wicked heart, which I didn't want anyone else to know about. And then I remember someone gave me this sermon that I listened to on a train at Central Station on my iPod, I think at the time. And it was about grace. And it's about how grace makes sinners safe. It doesn't make sin safe. And it just blew me apart. You see, I remember at the time thinking that God approves of me, not because I am special, not because I am unique, but because of Jesus and how He is unique, how He is special, and how I inherit His approval by humbling by myself before Him. This is the good news of the gospel. You see, I said before that all of us long for approval. And I said it's a beautiful thing, but also a dangerous thing, especially when we're trying to find approval in the wrong place, wrong person, or the wrong way. And tonight in this parable, Jesus gives us direction on how to gain the approval of God. May we remember grace. May we not try to earn God's approval. May we seek to be like the tax collector and not the Pharisee. May we do our best and not compare ourselves to others, to be open about our sin and to repent of our sin. May we remember Jesus' words in this parable, but also Jesus' works. How do we gain God's approval? It is by humbly asking for it in Jesus Christ. How about I pray to close?